I'll be reading from Mark 8, 31 through 38. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him and aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the, the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd, of, crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for my gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or, that can, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when it comes to, when it comes to in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Leaders of the temple, elders, chiefs, priests, and teachers will reject Jesus. Jesus spoke plainly, the easiest teaching to understand is the hardest to learn. Let me pray for us to get started. God, thank you uh, for your word, and thank you for your church, your community, your church body that represents your hands and feet in the world, and is also a place uh, this space is a place that is a well, a well of living water uh, by which we can drink and be filled. And so may we be filled today, filled uh, with your spirit, filled with your truth and your restorative power and your healing. Uh, thank you in your name. Amen. We are in the second Sunday of Lent and, um, and the sermon series around Lent is called Road to Renewal. So as Jesus was walking to the cross, as Jesus uh, fasted in the wilderness for 40 days, as the people of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 days, we too are wandering. We too are journeying through the wilderness, through the desert, and we're fasting and we're creating space for Jesus to come in. And we believe that in the fasting, in the giving up, in the walking in the wilderness, it's not just a death, right? Or suffering for suffering's sake, for death's sake, right? It's in the hope and anticipation that even when there's death on Friday, on Sunday, right? Sunday is coming and life is coming and renewal isn't coming. And I really like the word renewal because our church is named Renew, all right? That God wants to renew us with new life. Both like the meta game, the meta picture. He wants to re- give us new life and salvation in him. But in our daily lives, in the micro game, right? He wants to restore you. He wants to heal you. He wants to pick you up when you fall down in the middle of life's little disappointments. To pick you up, to restore you, to heal you. And so... We are, if you will, join me on the road to renewal. In this time, in this season, we are in the road to renewal. 
This passage is probably the clearest, easiest to know lesson that Jesus gives. And yet, the, the easiest lesson, but the hardest to learn, right? Jesus is very clear. In verse 32, it says, he spoke plainly about this. Jesus was very clear that he would die, that he would suffer, he would die, he would be persecuted, and he would rise again. And yet, as we see from Peter's response, this simple lesson, this straightforward, blunt lesson is the hardest one to learn, right? Die to yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And if you're like me and have the old sim stubbornness, the obstinacy, that we're very obstinate people, to die is like, right, he's like, Die, 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 die. No, I yet live. It's like, put your hand down. No, I'm gonna, I want this. I'm gonna hold on to this till my dying breath. It's like, die, let, let it go, let it go, let it go. No. And if you uh, grew up like me, um, watching wrestling, the WWF, World Wrestling Federation, you would remember those wrestling matches. They'd be wrestling, the two wrestlers would wrestle, and, you know, someone would slam another person and um, the rep or they'd have them in a submission hold and the ref would lift up their arm, right? And it'd fall down. If you do it three times, if the guy did not lift his arm after three times, if the ref lifts his arm up, then he'd be submitted out. So the drama of wrestling would be like, the ref would lift the arm up. I want to lay down and do this so you can see it better. But lift it up, it'd fall to the mat. One. Two. Ah. On the third one, he'd like lift his arm up, and everyone would be like, "Yes, he's not dead yet. He's not down yet." And that's a lot of us, right? We know the things that we need to let go of. We know the things that are getting away uh, with our relationships with other people, with our relationships with God, and yet, in the in the moment. You know, we almost have it. We almost have it. But yet we resist. We want to hold on to that thing. And it's very difficult to learn what it means to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow Jesus. To lose our life in order to gain it. It's a very difficult lesson. Simple, but difficult to embody. And... uh, The other thing that I see happening in this passage is this whole notion of shame and being ashamed. Jesus says in 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with holy angels. And I think about my son who's nine years old. When he was three, four, or five, you know, I'd come in the house, and Cammie's still like this, and I never want her to grow up, right? My three-year-old daughter, don't grow up. Because whenever I walk into the door, she says, Appa, and runs at me and hugs me. And I'm like, oh, one person in this house is happy to see me. Not even the dog comes to greet me in this house, right? But Cammie hot runs and hugs me, right? And Isaiah was like that when he was three, four, five daddy and he would hug me and he would hug me and he would hug me right but now he's like 
honest kinder. He gives me the nod when I walk in. What's up? <laughs> right? And then I, you know, I have to walk him to the bus stop. And lately he's been like, can you just stop at the corner and let me walk? Like, so my friends don't see you. Right? And I'm sure. Like, drop me off a block away from school, please, dad. Like, he's a shit, right? It's that, I've reached that moment where my kid is ashamed to be seen with me. Right? That's like, oh. Right? How can you deny me? You're a sim, right? I'm your father. I gave you life. I can take your life away, right? And you're ashamed of me? What? You're ashamed of me, right? Um, but this is what Jesus is dealing with, with his disciples. His disciples are following him. The people are following him. And he's teaching things. And all the while, while he's teaching things and going, traveling across the land, he's being confronted by the religious leaders of the day. Right? And Jesus mentions these people. Right? He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Right? Basically, the elders in the temple system at this time were basically like lay leaders. So in our church, we have lay leaders who are like the leaders, the leadership. The chief priests were in charge of the religious ritual and the cleansing and the sacrifices in the temple. They were the chief priests. And the teachers of the law or the scribes were the experts in scripture, in the Bible, in the scripture passages. And they were the authority on how to interpret uh, the meaning of scripture. And Jesus was consistently being rejected by these leaders, by the people in authority, in religious authority in that time and culture. So somehow the things that he taught and the way that he lived and the disciples who followed him did not mesh with what the religious people, uh, authorities were wanting, that liked. And so they were consistently rejecting him. And this tension was mounting and mounting and mounting so much that the Son of Man would suffer many things under them. And we know when we read ahead to the end of the story, this tension was so much that Jesus was executed. He was incarcerated and executed for this. Um, So Jesus is speaking plainly about this, that he must be killed and three days rise again. And I think the disciples, they're following Jesus, but I think in the back of their mind, they still think there's some sort of victory. There's going to be some sort of aha moment where Jesus will come in some sort of public, some sort of kind of social power, right? Some sort of authority that will overturn, right? Uh, the powers that be, the, the, that'll in the immediate overturn Rome or overturn like the systems and structures of the day that they were against or that were that was um, oppressing many people and in the back of their mind they're like Jesus is my hero we're following him because look he's doing many powerful things he's a great teacher and awesome things are happening so surely something great is about to happen 
And so it's in this moment when Jesus is actually predicting his death, right? And Jesus is basically saying, I'm going to lose. Right? They're going to take me out. They're going to assassinate me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. I'm going to be killed. And in three days, I'll rise again. Peter takes him aside. It's like, there's just this conflict in him. And it says he began to rebuke Jesus. And in the Greek, it kind of translates into he shut him up. He basically is trying to tell Jesus to shut up. Shut up, Jesus! Right? It's like my son. Shut up, Dad! You're so goofy. You're embarrassing me. But even more so, like, there's a, there's a kind of, like, disappointment. Right? What I expected you to be is not going to be. And actually, it, it looks like failure. Right? You're, 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 you're revealing a little bit of weakness. Right? You're saying that in the end, we're not going to win. We won't be validated. We won't be vindicated. Now, what does that mean for us? Right? If, they, if you get taken out, what does it, where does that leave us? Are you kind of feeling it? And this is where Jesus says to Peter, and it says he rebuked Peter. It's the same word. No, you shut up, Peter. You shut up. And you got to remember, a couple of verses before this, Peter has like the epiphany of all epiphanies. This is what places him above all disciples. He's, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter's the one that says, you're the Messiah. And like, this is the moment in Mark. You are the Messiah. And all the disciples were like, I was going to say that. I was going to say that. You brown noser. Peter's like, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. All the scripture and the prophecies coming together into this one man. And you are the man. You're the Messiah. Right? Gold star. Check plus 100%. But in this moment, he gets it wrong, so wrong. Jesus says, shut up, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Why? Why does Jesus do this? Because what he's saying is, this has to happen. And if you're going to be with me, if you're going to roll with me, in my, in my posse, in my entourage, you got you to gotta receive the same things that I'm receiving. You have to be in solidarity with me. Um, for instance, I'm trying to, I was trying to think of some examples of being in solidarity and not undermining a movement or a person. So, for instance, consider a labor dispute. A union, we had this uh, first student bus drivers just recently went on strike for, in Seattle schools. The bus drivers went on strike and we didn't have uh, buses for my kids for a couple of weeks, a few weeks. And I imagine that in a union, it's very important that everyone in a union be on the same page and be willing to walk out or strike, right? 
Otherwise, the laborers demanding more pay or more benefits would lose leverage. Is that true? Right? And that's why there's so much kind of ang- so much anger towards people who walk across the picket line. They call them scabs or whatever. Because basically you're saying, right, you're giving, we're losing power as laborers, as a union. You're undermining, you're not willing to make the sacrifices that we are in order to put it to, right, the company or the organization. So that's one thing. People who cross the picket line, oh, why did you do that? Right? Get behind me! You're not, you're not for us. Another example. So I've been in several dialogues or family times around racial reconciliation, for instance. And back in my student ministry days, you know, we'd have these family times in the fellowship where we'd talk about race and racial reconciliation, but in more intimate ways, like where maybe the students of color or the minorities would be given space to express like disappointments or hurt or like why don't we do leadership a different way? Why don't we do worship in a different way? More representative of my culture or how I grew up in church or a, a, a leadership system which is more affirming to my cultural gifts, etc., etc. And I, I remember processing with students of color and they always point to the moment when another representative of the minority, right, maybe an Asian student or an African-American student, uh, would say, um, oh, I think everything is great, right? All, right, it would stand in the middle and like, I think everything is great. Why can't we just get along, right? And if we sit here complaining, we're actually bringing disunity. Why can't we just have unity? which is a great message on the surface level. But the students of color would be, if that one person said that, would be like, no! Because what you have just done for the majority culture is like affirmed, like, let them have an out. Does that make sense? And so that same feeling of, you're not with us! Come on, get on board! Right? Because we're trying to Make change. We're trying to communicate or articulate something. But when you say something in the contrary and you're seen as being one of us, it actually misses with the message. Are you with me? Same thing happened in our gender reconciliation, right? Men and women. And the women would be given space to share how the men have hurt them, right? And inevitably, there'd be a woman who'd be like, I think it's great. I think... I think the women should actually, you know, we're mistreating the men. And everyone in the room would go, no! Like, ah, are you, getting, are you with me? Are you, are you tracking? And so I think that's what Jesus is saying when he says, get behind me, Satan. This is the way that I'm walking. This is what it means to be my disciple. This is what it means to be in my group, right? In my posse. And everything that you just said right there, No, you can't die. No, you will not suffer. You just undermined everything. You're not in solidarity with me. Right? You're contradicting me. You're walking in a different direction. 
get behind me Satan. This is this idea of Jesus needing to die. Right? Jesus going the path of the cross is central to our faith, is central to his identity as the Messiah, is central to the gospel. Right? When Jesus is walking in suffering, and walking to his death, that's also what makes him attuned and with all the other people that he was touching and ministering to who were suffering, who were blind, who were deaf. He's ministering to them. He's understanding them. He's walking the same path as they walk. Miles kind of talked about uh, black theologians. And one of my favorite Af- a black theologian is uh, Hal Cohn, right? Wrote God of the Oppressed. Right? And the, the whole kind of notion behind, like, God isn't the God of those who succeed, right? Or who are victorious. God is actually on the side of the oppressed, right? God is the God of the oppressed. And when you put that lens in there of the, of the marginalized, the suffering, and the oppressed, it, that's when the gospel like, is like mind-blown, right? Prism, and you kind of see the truth of the gospel shine out, right? God is the God of the oppressed. And I think Jesus is talking about this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is where I'm going. And if you want to follow me and be my disciple, you need to go with me as well. You need to walk this path as well. You know, I share this kind of, you know, to be a disciple of Jesus, you must die to yourself, right? You must deny yourself. You must, you know, we are constantly thinking about, oh, what do I need to give up to follow Jesus? Or what do I need to, what are the places in my life that need to die? in order to follow Jesus. And those are all great applications um, of this. But I also wary um, because the, these types of scriptures have also been used to keep people in their place and to oppress people, right? So in the early years of our country's history, right, it was the church who the- theologized or justified slavery by saying, you know, servants continue to submit, right? Using scripture. And also, take up your cross, right? As a slave, you shouldn't protest. You shouldn't run away. You shouldn't, right, do this, say no to your master. Because you need to take up your cross. Deny yourself. 
That's what it means to be a good Christian, is to submit. The problem is it's always the, uh, the system of power, the people in power, who are telling others to submit. Um, and this is interesting, because when you look, as we go through Lent and you read kind of the passion narrative and crucifixion and the, the resurrection of Jesus, the motion is quite interesting when it comes to male and female, Right? All the people, like, all the, the people that struggle with Jesus talking about dying and needing to die are the men, right? The male disciples. Right? The men are like, oh, no, this can't be. Especially Peter's like, no way, because Peter is a fighter, right? He cuts off the, the soldier's ear. Jesus is like, that's not the way. Come on, stop being stubborn. Accept. Right? He denies Jesus three times. All of these things he's struggling with. But when you look at Jesus' resurrection narrative, like the first people to be around Jesus in his death, and then on the other side, during his resurrection, are the women. Right? And so there are a lot of writers who talk about, you know, there are people like minorities and women who the gospel message is about rising. It's about resurrection. Not just like, Death, death. It's not like a monochrome message, right? All of you must die, so we rise together. So I'm aware, all that's all to say is I'm aware of the complexities of this. But we can all say that the path of discipleship, the way of following Jesus, is the way of denial of the world and of suffering. And of rising again. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And Jesus is turning around and saying, Are you going to be ashamed of me when that time comes? When I drop you off next to your friends at that party or at school or at the bus stop, are you going to deny me in front of everyone? What does this mean for us? I think it's difficult in the West, in, in, a, in the States especially. We are rich, we are privileged. Uh, we have the freedom to worship. It's difficult to see what it, uh, ourselves being martyrs or dying, literally dying for our faith or like being executed. There are places in the world where people are executed and killed and martyred even today for their faith. And I think this message in the gospel is very real in that sense. What, what does it mean for us? Because I think there's ways that every day we have opportunities to take up Jesus or to deny him or be ashamed of Jesus, right? Where, where are the places that we are afraid to speak truth and love and compassion when wrong is being done, when lies are being told, when people are suffering unfairly or unjustly? Do you stand in the gap and say, in the name of Jesus, this is not right. This is wrong. 
right? Who, who are the people in your neighborhood? Not to quote a Mr. Rogers song. <laughs> There are people in our churches inside here, but then there are people in your neighborhood. And as a church, are we engaging our neighbors who are not as well off as us or who are not benefiting from um, educational advantages that we may benefit from or who don't have access to different resources that we may have access to? Are you speaking for them? Are you standing on their behalf? Right? Are you saying this is wrong? Or it may be even simply at simply, you know, for me for a long time, it was like, man, it's so not cool and not hipster and or whatever it is to be a Christian. Right? Because we have, you know, to be a Jesus follower, and a Christian, there's so many, like, there's so much cultural baggage, right? It's like, oh, if we're Christian, people see us as not as educated. Or you can't be, like, have integrity in science and math if you're a Christian. Or you must not like homosexuals. Or you must believe this way or vote this way, right? Because you're a Christian. And there's a lot of baggage, right? But to kind and you kind of, you kind of like, people are like, what do you think? You know, on my ultimate team, I'm known as the Rev, right? And uh, they're always like, what do you think about this, Dave? What do you think about this? I'm like, and there's times that I actually, I feel like I do deny that authority or that kind of my faith and my discipleship in Jesus because I want to fit in, right? I want to be cool. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I'll say like the opposite extreme, like, Yes, smoke pot and like be angry. (laughs) And everybody's like, oh, you're so different. You know? But what are the places where I need to stand and be like, this is what I believe? You know? What are the places for you where you deny Jesus or deny your faith? because you want to please people. You want to be a people pleaser. Or you want to not stir the boat, rock the boat too much. Um, Let's come up from the reverse direction. Maybe some of us grew up in the church, right? And there are traditions in the church that like are almost gospel. Like we always sing this way. We always do this this way. What does it mean not to do those things, right? Oh my gosh, they're bringing coffee into the sanctuary right? and drinking coffee. Right? What does it mean to die to those things that are more, what does Jesus say? The traditions of people, right? The concerns of humans and not the, the concerns of God. What is the concerns of God? The concern of God is to love people and make a hospitable, open place for people to come and access and worship in spirit and truth. Right? That is the concerns of God. The concerns of humans are oftentimes maintaining traditions which elevate us but keep other people out. 
Are you with me, church? Amen. And that way, giving up those things that aren't the gospel, but are our traditions, is what it means to take up our cross. Let go. Let go. <clears throat> we need to follow Jesus on the path he walks. During Lent, we have the opportunity to practice in a more focused way, in more focused ways, what it means to take up our cross and follow him. And so my challenge to us today, and we'll take some time to reflect on this and we'll enter into a time of repentance and confession, which is a discipline and practice that we should do more in the church that's often hard for us to do, to confess and repent. Like that's the, that's the direct application of what Jesus is talking about, is to repent, to let go of, and to, so that we can take up his cross. <clears throat> so the question is, or the prompt is, what are ways that you say to Jesus, shut up, no, not that. Not anything, right? I'll give up money, I'll give up this, but not that. How are you rebuking Jesus? And then we'll have a time and space to release those things, to repent and confess. <clears throat>